a member of the Red Sox Nation It's a kind of a family Wherever I roam, a Fenway home That's where I long to be I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation It's a kind of insanity Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity Make a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawn around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yahoo Way. That's when Red Sox is just a rock. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast can be found, as always, on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and literally wherever you can find it on Google. Tonight, we will be covering quite a bit of Red Sox topics as uh, you know, unlike the last several shows, though we will mix some MLB-wide topics in the uh, final segment, which will include Machado and Harper finally appearing to be on the brink of signing with their respective new teams. Joining me tonight, as always, Jeremy Schilling and making her debut on the Benny and the Bats podcast, Stephanie Allen. How are you, fine people? I'm good, Terrence. Doing real good. Excited to join you guys. Well, we're definitely excited to have you. And Jeremy loves calling me by my real name. I'm just I'm just noticing that. Terrence, you know, which you know, as a child, you know, when your parents call you your you know, your real name other other than your nickname Terry, you know, obviously I'm in deep shit. Um, so yeah, thanks for that every I week, did. Jeremy. <laughs> well, if you have takes like the last podcast, you're going to be in deep shit. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't realize we were so formal and full naming. I've been calling him Terrence for like 10 months. So I don't know. The fact that he's just picking it up in the middle of this intro is, I think the more surprising thing. All right. Well, now I know it's Terrence. Absolutely. All right. So um, we will just <laughs> dive right into it. Off, off to a hot start here. Off to a hot we are. start. I could have went on to say, you know, Terrence is a black name and I've had more than one person tell me before they met me after seeing my name on paper, they expected me to be black. But, you know, they were they must have been in for a surprise. And a couple of them might have been some uh, ex-girlfriend's father's. So I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a topic. How will we bring it back to baseball here? Yeah, (laughs) that's fine. All right. So anyway, um, Dave Dombrowski earlier in the week mentioned the fact that the Red Sox still have three catchers, and it's been said all season long that – they would likely not enter spring training carrying three with the big league club. And spring training has started and we do have three. But in all likelihood, you know, more sooner than later, one of them 
will get dealt. And Dombrowski was saying that he hopes to target a starting pitcher, which kind of surprises me because all we've done, or at least especially myself, has complained about the bullpen. So with that being said by Dombrowski, Jeremy, who do you think has enough value to get, I'm guessing, a a mid to back end of the rotation starting pitcher? There's actually more to unpack uh, on that on this whole topic than I think just that question and and because one of the things you did was phrase it very specifically who has the most value um, to me it's Vasquez he's under a, a relatively uh, accurate contract his contract is consistent with his worth to wins and losses and the value he brings to a ball club so I think Vasquez is probably your most worthwhile trade chip. Uh, I would trade Leon for almost anybody that could contribute because I think he stinks. Uh, and then Swihart is kind of an interesting situation because he has the ability to play multiple spots, and he's so athletic, and he, he's above, he's an above-average uh, base runner. He, he has some speed, um, switch hitter, um, you know, a little bit lacking with, the technical defensive side of catching uh, where Leon's probably the best of the group uh, with, you know, blocking balls and uh, that sort of thing. So it's an interesting dynamic where all three of them are so, so different, especially when you throw in Vasquez's contract situation. So for me, I, I the way you characterize it, it would have to be Vasquez, but that's the last guy I want traded. He's our starting catcher. He does the most across the board well. Um, I think it would end up being Swihart just because of how athletic he is. And I think he can be a plus offensive catcher, uh, which is going to appeal to more ball clubs than I think Leon, who is just an absolute albatross offensively. Um, and then the other thing about this whole thing, before I turn it back over to the next uh, person that wants to say something, why does Dombrowski want to flip this uh, the, well, first of all, why did he admit this? That's one, because you lower your leverage. Two, um, why does he want a starting pitcher? It just doesn't make any sense. We've we've gone over this topic so often on this podcast where we have seven, eight, you know, seven or eight major league ready starters. It makes no sense. And if you want a starting pitcher, go sign Keuchel. Go sign Keuchel. I mean, that he's there. Go get him. There you go. There's your starting pitcher. Big league ready guy, one World Series, all-star game, Cy Young. Go get him. There he is. So I just don't get it. Plus, I think it's an at you're out of your mind if you think Leon or Swihart's going to get you a starting pitcher that's going to be in your top four or five. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So uh, not exactly how Terry wanted me to answer it, but this thing never usually goes to uh, to uh, as as intended. So, well, I didn't. I mean, I, there not isn't necessarily a wrong answer. It's just it's been a very perplexing off season. You know, we lose Kimbrel, we lose Kelly, we don't replace them, and now. I mean, it is. Yeah, but, part of my part of my thing is is Dombrowski making sure Red Sox fans are paying attention. Like he's doing this as like, hey, you guys, are you guys actually listening to what I'm saying? Because we're so desperate for bullpen help, and this guy comes out and says we're going to flip a catcher for a starting pitching. Like, what the hell is he doing? Right, and that's the it's point like I'm cat. getting at is nothing makes sense. So uh, it's tough to it's tough to make sense of you know 
what his express goal earlier in the week was with trading a catcher for a starting pitcher. But Stephanie, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I agree with Jeremy. I really like Vasquez, but I think he's the most likely. I think there was an article earlier this week that talked about he was being dangled for a pitcher. And I think if I was another team, um, I definitely want Vasquez. But I also think that um, Swihart brings a lot to the table for his versatility. I don't see him as being anybody's starting catcher, but um, he's a switch hitter. So there are some things he brings to the table. Leon, I'd be happy to part with, but um, I don't see our need, like you're saying, for a starting pitcher. And uh, Jeremy, exactly to your point, go get Keuchel. He, he's hanging out. He's not in camp. Let, if we really need a starting pitcher, let's go get him. I'd love to get Dallas Keuchel. And, you know, I was kind of hoping they would go that route instead of the Evaldi route. But we have so many lefties as it is and, it's not really clear on what Keuchel's market is, unfortunately. But I would think that Swihart would be would be the odd man out. I've thought that all along, and I'm not really attached to any one of these guys anyway. I mean, it's not going to hurt my feelings, you know, if any one of them get peddled. But Swihart, like Stephanie was kind of alluding to, has some extra value if... Whoever acquires him, just say it's, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a team here, um, maybe like the Brewers, the Giants, no, the, well, if Posey goes the first, I guess that makes sense. But basically a team that's looking to compete, maybe not this year, but in you know within the next two or three years, if Swihart doesn't work out, then at least maybe they have a utility guy versus... Yeah, that's totally... That's totally how I see him. I see him like a utility player, like a Brock Holt. He can play outfield. He can play infield. He's a switch hitter. You know, he could bring value in that way. I don't see him, like I said, like Vasquez and Leon, what they offer defensively behind the plate, you know, maybe because he wasn't utilized a lot. I just don't see that from him at all. Absolutely. And Leon really has no value to me because he's a backup catcher. Like, he's not a starting catcher on any team. So... So a team basically looking to acquire him as a backup is probably going to be a competitive team that isn't necessarily looking to deal a starting pitcher because I don't see how that trade would make them a better team. Uh, so I just I don't see Leon netting us anything really, and he's got two years of control left, so yeah, at pretty cheap money. Blake Swihart has four years of control left. Christian Vasquez, if uh, Vasquez, excuse me, if his option uh, is picked up, then he would have four full years of control left. And none of these guys, obviously, is gonna be a difference maker. I mean, we spent a lot of—I can't remember if it was the last episode or the episode before—talking about JT Real Muto, who would be a difference maker offensively. None of these guys really fit you know, that criteria. They're they're basically looking at a strong defensive catcher with, uh, at least with Vasquez and Leon, and, you know, just kind of hoping they can stay uh, around the Mendoza line of 220. Uh, Vasquez's best year so far behind the plate, uh, 2017, he hit 290, 330 on base, 404 slugging percentage, 
much better than I expected before the start of the season. Swihart had a very good offensive 2015. He started uh, 89 games that year, and that was the year Vasquez was out with Tommy John and. Uh, at the plate, uh, Swihart was uh, hit 274, 319 on base, and a 392 slugging percentage. And he kind of showcased his base running speed, which might be among the best of any catcher in, in uh, Major League Baseball. I can't really think of one that has the wheels that he has. So, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a scoring threat there, but. I, Jeremy, any any final thoughts? Um, no, I I don't disagree with the fact that Swihart may be looked at by other clubs as even a non-catcher, let alone someone that would catch. So that he does have the most versatility. Where there are going to be teams that look at him differently. So you may have, let's say, you know, three suitors that would see him as a catcher, and then you'd have you know, maybe, you know, three to four teams that may look him as a catcher plus some sort of, you know, added asset. with, And then you may see a couple teams that say, I, I, we don't even see him as a catcher. In fact, he's so athletic, we don't want him in a crouch. We want him up. We want him running. We want him using his other tools. So uh, good point by Stephanie, um, one I agree with. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I can't stand Leon. I, he just becomes – the black hole at the plate where he he's an automatic out. And um, to me, for whatever reason, it seems like um, he can't get his body down to a weight that makes him a little bit quicker, a little bit more athletic. He's always just thick, like all the way across the board. Uh, Vasquez two years ago during the Tommy John process, lost weight, came back a little thinner. It seemed like he maybe gained a step as a result. Swihart's super athletic for the catcher position. So again, Leon to me, and I've bashed Leon plenty, so I'll just stop here. He just to me, I, I mean, I if we could get an asset for him, I'd just buy. You know, see you later, dude. Yeah, but Jeremy, what do you think um, about the pitchers? It feels like the pitchers really like Leon and rave about him. Like Porcello seems to love him, and other pitchers, and even Cora have talked about his game calling and how how well he calls a game from behind the plate. Excellent. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question and one Terry and I disagree with strongly. We talked about this during the playoff run last year where Vasquez was I think everyone could admit the best option the entire playoff process. But we had him starting games because of a specific pitcher and I I, I came out pretty unambiguously that I hate personal catchers. I think it's just the pussification of professional sports to have basically a binky. Um, when when it, literally anyone that knows that a baseball's round and has red stitches know, knew that Vasquez was your best option to help you win a game, offensively, defensively, the ability to throw the ball. Um, but yet, every time Price pitched, he had to have Leon. And it just absolutely drives me nuts. I hate it. Like, the the... If you're an elite pitcher, you should be able to get on the same page over a 162-game season with your battery mate. And if you're, if the best option is a different player, that's on you to adapt and do what's best for your ball club, not to say, I, you know, basically, you know, I don't care what's best for the team. I want what's best for me. And if it's Leon, which, by the way, I can't understand. I guess it's the way he receives a ball. And I guess Vasquez, um, from what I can tell, can be a little bit more combative with like getting what he wants. 
to me, it just, it, I hate it. I hate it with a passion. I, I, I um, you know, yeah. I, it, it drives me nuts. Yeah, I think it's real interesting because at the beginning of last year, Cora said nobody was going to have a personal catcher. And then it feels like Leon was definitely the personal catcher for a couple of pitchers. Porcello and Price are the two that come right to mind. But um, So it's just interesting, you know, what would that do to the ball club or to the players or to the pitchers if, if Leon left, knowing that there's such a love, it seems to be, for him and the way he calls the game. For me, that's why you move Leon if you can. I just don't think you can get an asset for him, right? Like, um, yeah, I'm not convinced either. You can't. But I, I, if you get rid of him, then you get rid of that bullshit. And 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 I'm all for getting rid of that nonsense. I, I can't stand it. But um, the last time Chris Sale didn't get his way, he cut up 35 retro jerseys. So <laughs> who knows? It's I just just to reiterate though. I think there is value in, in some of the things Stephanie pointed out. Rick Porcello says, and he's you know one of the longest tenured guys of anyone on our staff. I, him and David Price might actually be even uh, when they both debuted, but but Porcello says that Sandy Leone is the best game caller he has ever pitched to in eleven years, and he says when he's off, when Rick Porcello himself is having an off night. Leon will get pissed behind the plate, and he'll basically start throwing him fastballs, you know, just to show you, hey, man, you know, you're off your game, and, and you need to get it together. And, you know, he just he just forces the pitching staff to be better, but you just you can't have him starting more than two times through the rotation. I mean, last year he was 177, you know, you know was his average, and then... His OBP only 232. He was a strikeout machine, basically. So there's a balance there. And Vasquez did kind of start to show that he could work with some of these guys because he took on the bulk, basically, of the workload behind the plate. I think except uh, during the Chris Sale starts. I think Leon still got those. But... um, uh, but aside from that, I mean, I like him as a backup catcher. So, I mean, I'm just ready for, you know, Blake Swihart to, you know, get a better opportunity elsewhere. And I don't care what the splits are between Leon and Vasquez. I don't think it's it's good for, you know, a catcher to, you know, an everyday catcher to you know, start more than three or four times through the rotation. They should be having a night off at least once through the, uh, you know, rotation. And, you know, I just think that is, is optimal for their, you know, performance and uh, sustainability throughout the year. I agree with that last point 100%. <laughs> you have to have someone, you have to have someone you can trust as your backup catcher, a guy you can play, you know, whether it be, because you played a night game last night and today's a day game and you just can't do that to a guy and expect him to hold up. So I totally agree. And and I, and that may be the deciding factor. They may not see Swihart as a 40 to 55 start player. And if they don't, then they should move him and he shouldn't be there. And I totally agree. And that would change the way I answer this question if I found out that that's how management viewed him. With that said, if I'm Chris Sale, I'm more I'm more inclined to worry about losing a one nothing game because Sandy Leon's getting three or four bats at bats versus 
you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever the plus side is of Leon over Vasquez, which to me doesn't seem like a ton, although I, I understand the comments from the roster. So that's just where I'm at with it. But if they don't feel comfortable with Swihart getting 40 or 50 starts, and, and let's also not forget, Vasquez missed a month last year with the broken finger. Um, he's had some uh, some other issues, the Tommy John, where he's had to miss time. So your backup catcher is one foul ball off a finger away from needing to start those three to four games a week. So that's another factor. If, if you don't see Swihart as that guy, then I agree. Lay owns your backup and you got to move Swihart. Yeah, and if if there was – it seems like we're loaded with utility guys because we have a platoon at first base. We have a platoon uh, – I'm assuming – we'll get into Pedroia in a minute here, but it was – it was Nunez and Holt, so there's no room for for Swihart to catch that one or two games a week and be a utility guy. I just feel like he needs he needs steady at bats, and I just don't see him getting it with with this uh, ball club. So anyway, uh, let's uh, just go ahead and move on. Uh, speaking of Pedroia. It's been in the news quite a bit over the past week and expects to be ready for opening day in which he will lead off. That's what Alex Cora said. Um, In reading the reports, there's a lot of self-skepticism for Pedroia. Uh, He's said stuff like he doesn't know if he can play second base the way he used to. Maybe he's just going to have to play more conservatively. And then he made comments as to how many games a week he might be able to play. I'm not seeing a ton of confidence out of a very injury-prone 35-year-old baseball player who really hasn't swung a steady bat since 2016. Yeah, his comments and his remarks to me have been disappointing at best. I wanted him to come back fired up ready to go, excited, um, confident. And I know Jeremy has his own opinions on this, but I I like Pedroia. I like what he brings to the ball club. And I was really wanting to see that Pedroia come back, the one who's um, really just motivating. And in his interviews that I've seen, he he doesn't seem that way. He seems like, well, I'm going to have to really take care of myself and I'm going to have to watch it. And it's like, well, you can't be the second baseman we need you to be if you're trying to take care of yourself and watch it. We need you to be the all-out, leave-it-on-the-field player that you used to be. So to your point that he's 35 and he's injury-prone, it's a little worrisome. Well, everyone knows I have an opinion on this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the little the little leader is leading like the little leader by creating reasonable doubt for his poor performance, by setting a benchmark that's lower than I know he thinks he can compete at. Um, and that, to me, just shows you what, he, what this player is since David Ortiz retired. Since it was supposedly... I think it was pushed on him by the media and the fan base, uh, but that's no excuse. Like... Once it became his team, he has been just a total piece of shit. And I really don't know how else, how else to play, you know, to word that. He has been, uh, he hasn't stayed healthy. He handled the Machado thing 
like oh a moron. God. He handled yeah. the Eckersley thing like a moron. This guy sucks. And here and here's the thing that just blows my mind. People still think he's like the little lovable underdog from like ten years ago. This guy sucks. He's not first of all, when he's healthy, he's a good second baseman, right? He's an above average second baseman. Uh, he plays hard and you can't take those things away from him. But he's basically saying I can't play hard anymore. He's saying I can't play, you know, he, this is a guy under under Tito Francona when, or again, Ortiz was the clear-cut leader of the clubhouse, where he was, like, arguing to play 162 games. Now, I understand that's completely unrealistic, even by the player's perspective, but he's now taking it to, like, a different extreme. Um, I, If you expect anything from Dustin Pedroia, um, you know, I've got a bridge to sell you. Um, I, I don't expect him to be available opening day. Something's going to come up. They're going to set him back. It's, uh, well, well, he'll be ready by May or whatever's going to happen. Um, and I think that's why they've kept more big league players than they have roster spots for. Cause I don't think the Red Sox honestly expect it. I mean, you have three catchers, you have Nunez, you have Holt. I mean, there's, there, you have like, you have eight starting pitchers at some point it's like, okay, why do we have all we have 30 major league baseball players for 25 spots? So and I think a big part of that is because Pedroia, they don't expect him to be there. I don't expect him to be there. And here's the other thing is I don't know that I want him to be there. If this is the version we're gonna get and where he's already just he's already lowering expectations for himself. Like some professional athlete you are, dude. Some leader you are, you putts. If he wasn't Dustin Pedroia, like if you can re- remove the the personal characteristics and you know the so-called leadership qualities that everybody seems to rave over except for us if you can separate those from the actual performance that he may or may not give us like if this was just joe blow and he could barely stay healthy barely compete on the field is he is he even factoring into a major league roster at this point? I don't see how he can, oh, considering yeah. everybody else we have. You know, to Jeremy's point, you know, we've got Nunez. You know, we didn't talk about Kinsler, Pierce, Pierce. Mor- Moreland. Um, I just think there's so many other options, and. To be honest, I had really high hopes for Pedroia, and I was excited that he was joining them in camp, and I thought this was his comeback year. Maybe it's a a little bit of the NorCal spirit, but um, his remarks just left me speechless. I I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand how that's leadership at all to say, yeah, you're basically saying, I'm not going to be the player you need me to be, and I'm going to take care of myself, and I'm not going to leave it all on the field for a team that's trying to repeat and do something impossible to start with. So he has three years left on his deal, $15 million, $13 million, $12 million. So this is going to be the next pablo sandoval contract contract if they can't get something out of him so of course they're saying he's going to hit lead off of course he's going to be a part of our plans of course we want him here i don't really think they mean that i think it's a desperation like we have to get something out of this guy who's due 39 
forty million over the next three years. So I, I understand what they have to do, and d- don't get me wrong here. As much as I am skeptical, I hate the character. I'm baffled by the fan base's loyalty to a player who has not shown the leadership that they they think he provides. He we need we need him to play 120 games because he's just costing too much money. And honestly, if you can get him to the All Star break and he's hitting 285 with 10 home runs and 40 RBIs, and you can get almost anything for him, flip him, flip him, get rid of him. Buy, like, do whatever you can. You get, if, I don't think that's even a possibility. But if he's playing well, and there's a team out there that bites on him, there's a team out there that thinks they can market him to the fa- to the everyday fan base. Then I hope he plays well, and I hope they trade him. If they can't trade him, I hope he plays well because he's not going anywhere. If he's hurt again this year, guess what? Next spring training, they're going to be sitting there saying Dustin Pedroia is our second baseman because he's still he would still be due twenty five million dollars over the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one season. Well, the bad news is he has ten five rights, which means he's been in the league um, for he's been in the league for ten years and with his current team for at least the last five. So that gives him under the rules of the CBA the authority to veto any deal so unless it were like unless i thought that was a i thought that was a limited uh under spotrack's um information he has a limited trade protection where he can block a certain percentage of teams in major league baseball but he can't block every team that's what i thought it was that was that was the first few years of his contract because he hadn't quite been in the league for 10 years at that point because he signed that in 2013. And, and then I think following the end of the 2016 season, his 10-5 rights kicked in. So he can okay. literally veto anything. And if, if Alex Cora and Dave Dombrowski made it real clear, and to be clear, I mean, he was a, a Theo Epstein, Ben Sherrington drafty you know dave dombrowski you know isn't uh, he probably doesn't have the same attachment to to dustin pedroia as the previous gms do so you know it him and cora might be like look dustin you're just not viable at this point you can't stay healthy you're not giving us anything and we're we're gonna have to start everybody else so then maybe at that point maybe they can talk to cleveland or something and send him to Francona or probably an American League team because he would probably have to DH at some point. And maybe you'll see that with the Red Sox even. You know, maybe that'll end so, up in the last resort. But little fun fact for you Pedroia fans. Um, so by between ages thirty seven and forty four he gets paid deferred money on an average of two point two five million per per year. Oof. So it's not as bad as Bobby Bonilla and the Mets where he's still getting a million dollars a year now 20 25 years later but that 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 just goes to show you what a total dumpster fire this contract has been through 2028 he'll be 44 years old 2028 he'll still be getting 2.5 million a year from the Red Sox it's crazy that uh, screams panda to me yeah 
Yeah, and so, and I'll just add in, just, you know, since we're kicking him while he's down, I mean, I've never been, when he called out Bobby Valentine, I know no nobody really liked him, and, you know, there were a lot of big Euclid fans at the time, but I wasn't crazy about Dustin Pedroia calling his manager out publicly, you know, I think that could have been done behind the scenes, and, and then, you know, he was, whether we like it or not, a part of Beer and Chicken, and, and then, you know, in 20... Yeah, in 2017, there was both the Machado incident when he sold out, you know, basically our entire bullpen to Machado. And uh, then just a couple of months later, apparently was egging on David Price in the Eckersley incident on the charter plane. He's just been on the wrong side of some big controversies. And I'm just not a just doesn't doesn't do anything for me. Well, on the wrong side of big controversies for someone who's supposed to be a leader, right? Right. That's not exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll just have to monitor that. I guess the workouts are picking up in full steam this week, and then maybe is it at the end of this week? Game action starts against the two colleges, or is that the following week? I think Grape League. Uh, Grape League starts Saturday, and they play like Northwest. Uh, Northeastern on Wednesday or Thursday, Boston College, one of those days. Okay. so, But they play the Yankees on Saturday, and that's the start of the Grapefruit, uh, Grapefruit League schedule. Okay. All right. So maybe we'll we'll see Pedroia, you know, a couple innings here and there, uh, you know, at second base, you know, pretty quickly. Um, all right. So shifting into the bullpen, um, we already know, you know, we're not going to be making a big signing of any sort. Most of the big relievers, except Kimbrell, are gone. And um, it does not look like they're going to be in on Kimbrell outside of maybe a one year deal. And I'm even skeptical that uh, that might take place. But um, here are some. Let's see. I got five of them outside the box potential late-inning guys that uh, could get some looks, and they'll certainly get a lot of looks during spring training. Uh, First one is Zach Putnam, and in his last 139 innings, which were mostly with the White Sox, he posted a 2.71 ERA. He's 31 years old. Coming off of Tommy John, he sat out all of last year. His fastball only hits 90 miles an hour, but he does have a 40 seven percent uh ground ball rate and i don't know what the advanced metric is that measured this but he allows very little hard contact so i don't see that as like a an eighth inning ninth inning type situation but a a really good uh situational option for cora out of the pen and he's got good numbers over a large sample size next would be colton brewer who we acquired from the San Diego Padres, we traded a low-level prospect for him. A lot of people are excited about this guy, but when I kind of looked into him, I just I don't see what they're talking about. He made his Major League debut last year in 2018, but he's 26 years old, was drafted all the way back in 2011 in the fourth round. He put up a 5.59 ERA and 11 outings with the Padres but I guess nine of those outings were scoreless and uh, he posted a 375 ERA in AAA 
El Paso uh, in the Padres organization. So we have him. I mean, that doesn't sound too spectacular to me, but who knows? Another guy that just kind of popped up on the radar last week, Chris Smith of Mass Live covered this. Josh Davis, he was the player to be named later in the Devin Marrero deal from two seasons ago. And in his last 24 appearances between AA and AAA, and I guess this was mostly AA though, um, he did post a uh, 2.10 ERA. So kind of, you know, similar to Brewer, um, you know, he's been around, he's kicked around the minors quite a bit. He's 25 years old, but has shown some strong recent potential. And I guess there were some adjustments in his mechanics to where he gained about four miles per hour on his fastball, which touches about 98 miles an hour. So another guy, maybe a long shot, but he'll be with the Red Sox. He's on the 40-man roster, so he'll be getting some looks in spring training. And here's a guy I'm excited about, Travis Lakins. He, in his uh, in 20 appearances in... Double A Portland, he posted a, a 0.86 ERA and then got promoted to Pawtucket. And in 10 appearances, this was kind of late in the season, so that's why the sample size is short. But in 10 appearances, uh, 1.65 ERA, and uh, he's got an upper 90s fastball and a 90 mile an hour slider, which is really electric. Typically, those are in the low to mid 80s, but he could be major league ready. Uh, there's been some reports out there that expect he could make the team right out of spring training. He's 24 years old. And then finally, uh, our one of our draft picks last year, he was drafted in the fourth round, Durbin Feltman, 21 years old, uh, pitched in college, I think, three full seasons. Uh, his sample size, because like I said, he was just drafted uh, late last spring. He had seven appearances in uh, Greenville, which is A-level, 2.57 ERA, and then he was promoted towards the end of the season to advanced A-ball with the Salem Red Sox, made 11 appearances, had a 2.19 ERA, upper 90s fastball plus slider. They expect him to start the year in A Portland, but where he has so much college experience, they think it's uh, not a long shot at all that he could potentially be with the Red Sox. And a lot of people are really excited about him. And he's younger than all the other um, previous uh, names I listed. So do any of those names excite you? Or should we have went out and got Zach Britton or Calvin Herrera or David Robertson? I mean, there's a lot to sift through there. And just as uh, before you do weigh in, we thought Carson Smith and Tyler Thornburg were going to be studs at the back end of our bullpen last year. And how'd that work out? So one of the inherently difficult things about building a bullpen in major league baseball is the ebb and flow of the career bullpen guys, as far as year to year performance. Um, it can be very, it's, it's one of the reasons why you don't see long-term deals with very few exceptions for non-closer, non-top-end you know, top end eighth inning guys. The, the year-to-year 
uh, swings as far as performance are, are hard to predict. Um, especially if a guy gets a lot of innings one year, you know, the, the statistics show that there's going to be a high likelihood of a down year. And, and, you know, so it's just one of those situations where it's so difficult. What makes it even more difficult is when your general manager or president of baseball operations has a track record of trying to put bullpens together and like, and like a gif of like trying to build a house with playing cards the guy has no idea what he's doing. And so how does he how does he attack it this year? He takes a bunch of unknowns in a shotgun approach and he's hoping two or three of them stick up against the wall and maybe they do. But this is ridiculous that we're even having this conversation. I mean, okay, Zach Putnam, Tommy John. Um, I like some of these guys, uh, especially the hard throwers. Um, Durbin Feltman seems to me to be a guy that is going to be a Red Sox and pitching big innings sooner rather than later. But again, rushing guys to the majors usually works against the player as far as like the health of his career. So I just don't need to see, see it. And also what does that say about your admission as far as how much trouble you in you're in if you have to go to this guy no major league experience and you're going to lean on the fact that he pitched three years of college baseball like can't we find somebody that's pitched three years of major league baseball there was a there was a pretty robust reliever market this year and yes they had to you had to spend a lot of money to get you know even joe kelly who you know terry and i both weren't sad to see go but you know there were plenty of other options out there um, the fact that we're even discussing this list is like it's frustrating beyond belief. Any thoughts, Stephanie? Yeah, I I agree that you know none of these names really excite me, um, and I agree with what Jeremy was saying about the closer market. You know, I think that they every year, you know, it happened to Kimbrel, but. By time batters see him so many times, they've got him figured out. You know, you've got people in the audience <laughs> imitating his pitches, people, fans in the stands. So um, I don't know. I guess the closer market's a tough one, and we'll see what we come up with. And the Dombrowski method of throwing throwing guys out there and seeing who sticks. Um, I don't know. Did it work for us with Kimbrell? Yeah, you know, with Kimbrell. I don't know if Alex Cora is really a Craig Kimbrell guy because Cora said at the last at the start of last season that he wanted to use Kimbrell in more high leverage situations. So if the three, four, five guys were coming up in the eighth inning, he'd rather use them there than waste him on the you know the seventh, eighth, and ninth guys in the order in the ninth inning. But Kimbrell, over the course of his career, has just been so finicky outside of the ninth inning that he just seemed to get his way and was utilized basically from May forward in the ninth inning. And I think Cora himself prefers versatility. So I think that, and I'm just speculating on this just to be clear, but I think that's why there really hasn't been a ton of interest in Craig Kimbrell from the Red Sox side of it. And and with the present bullpen, I mean, all we've been hearing about all season long is Barnes and Brazier are going to be the, the eighth and ninth inning guys. And 
I think with Brazier specifically, I think they're putting the weight of the world on this guy's shoulders. And I know he had a 160 ERA in the last two months last season, but he wasn't that great in the playoffs and had a really short leash. He was letting a lot of runners on base and and just didn't look good in, in some big moments. And I just think that sample size is too short to really like I said, put put that much pressure on him to perform. And what if he does what if he does regress and he's not quite as good as he was last year? Then what? You know, then how are we looking? <laughs> it's just Yeah, I totally agree. I don't I don't see consistency from any anyone at that spot. And so that scares me right now. So Brazier was a one six um during the regular season in thirty four games with a 0.77 whip which is just outrageous um his era was better in the postseason 1.04 in nine games but his whip was high 1.38 that was the result of the first outing against new york where he walked the bases loaded before getting pulled he was he was good now here's the thing i think they like about brazier he seems like he embraces the moment and for whatever reason every time there's an interview he's the one giving it which I like. It's and he's also a little bit more mature at thirty-one years old. Thirty-one years old, played in Japan. Um, I, I don't think the moment's necessarily going to be too good, uh, too big for him. He just doesn't have any. He doesn't have any track record except for one season. Um, and and I can tell you right now, the Red Sox have a depth chart up that was, uh, according to the page itself, last verified today. You want to scare yourself? You, you want to have nightmares tonight? Go Google Red Sox bullpen and on their boston.redsox.mlb.com backslash depth chart. Look at their bullpen and, you know, have yourself a little bit of a nightmare tonight. It's not great. <laughs> and they have Barnes listed as Thanks, the closer. <laughs> Brazier, Workman, Hembry, Velasquez, Pointer, Thornburg, Johnson, Wright. Um, and for whatever it's worth, they have Sale, Price, Porcello, Evaldi, Rodriguez in the starting rotation. Like, the bullpen sucks. And what makes it even more concerning is the Yankees' bullpen is an absolute just the, the buzzsaw. I mean, that, that bullpen is going to be tough unless there's some injuries. So, um, you know, I, I, I've been a big proponent this whole entire offseason of saying, the bullpen today or opening day is not going to be the bullpen come August 1st. I still believe that. Well, here's the thing, though. We don't really have the pieces to get a big-time arm, you know, like other teams have done. So we're just going to have to find a mid-level guy and just or two and then hope hope we hit off of them. I saw something that said, I forget where the list was. It might have been fan graphs, but the Red Sox – bullpen currently ranks 21st out of the 30 teams the yankees were number one before they went and got adam Ottavino, and and then they added him so i mean that just shows you how solid they are you know in that area of their team so the red sox lost if the red sox had a lead last year in the seventh inning they only lost a handful of games if even that you know, after, you know, from the seventh inning on back. So I just, I think we might see the opposite of that this year, you know, unless some of these guys do pan out. I am, of that list, 
I, I know he's just a prospect. He hasn't made his big league debut. I'm really excited about Travis Lakins. I just, his numbers look really good, and he he came up through A ball, and I think he started double A as a starter, but then, you know, eventually they converted him into a reliever, and he's been absolutely lights out, and I don't want to. I don't want to put him on the Papelbon pedestal, but I don't know. I, the path is pretty similar, so you know, I'm I'm hoping we get some uh, some production from him. Yeah, if I had to pick someone off the list you gave us, it it would be Lakins. Yeah, I mean, just based on what what you the stats and stuff. And I will say this: that the 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 lineup and the starting rotation is so clear. I mean, it's clear all the way down to like Holt's going to be a bench player. Nunez is going to be a bench player. So like the, the, the nine position players are so well defined to me. The only, the only redeeming value besides these players getting their work in and getting ready and being ready, um, health wise for opening day is, uh, and the thing I'll be looking at every box score after every grapefruit league game is who's throwing strikes and who's getting people out so you know it's the thing to watch it's why i'm going to tune into these games it's the thing i'm going to watch is when they go when that once the starter gets their work in who's coming in the game are they throwing strikes are they having an effective whip and are they getting people out and you know that's what i'll be watching and and maybe when we do a podcast in two to three weeks we'll all have some more thoughts on who we think is going to rise to the top as far as the bullpen any uh, final thoughts, Stephanie? No, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Maybe we should all put our bets in now. Yeah, I'm just ready for baseball one way or the other. You know, I want my Agreed. life. Agreed. I want my life back. Um, all <laughs> right. Well, um, I think that about covers it for the Red Sox portion of the show. We'll just kind of touch on some MLB wide stuff. Um, Harper and Machado seem to be. Finally, uh, possibly on the verge of signing a figure that's been kicked around from the Phillies is roughly $310 million over 10 years for Bryce Harper. And Machado is said to have multiple offers on the table in the mid-200s, the 240 to 250 range, with even 280 over eight years speculated from the San Diego Padres, which would be $35 million a year over that span. And uh, the Giants are also uh, linked uh, with Harper. But uh, let's just start with Harper, Jeremy. What, what, are you, what are you thinking as far as a landing spot for him? I mean, I, I can be pretty succinct on both players. I, I think it's going to be Phillies unless the Nationals match. That's the way I view what I've seen on Twitter all day and, and you know, basically since about 4 o'clock today. Um, that's the way I look at it. Obviously, they're leaking the Phillies, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that um, that Boris is leaking that in an attempt to see if the Nationals are going to match it because I think that's where Harper ultimately wants to be. Um, and then on Machado, it seems like, Believe it or not, the Padres have shown a ton of interest, and apparently, I was reading today they did a. I don't know if they hired a third party or what, but the background on him, they basically went out to disprove that they wanted him. They felt initially that he was a dirty player, 
Uh, spoiler alert, he is. Uh, <laughs> totally. They he was, they thought he was a scumbag. Spoiler alert, he is. Totally. Um, and they find out that now I'm reading that based on this uh, investigation into his background, they feel differently about the player. <clears throat> Bullshit. Um, so all of a sudden now they're, they're interested in, um, previously where they thought Machado wanted to be on the East coast. He's now saying things like, it's just going to be whoever gives me the most money. So, uh, it seems like that's where we are going into tonight, but who knows? So wait, so who are you picking for Machado then? Just to be clear. I mean, from what I'm, from what I'm telling, what I'm seeing and what I'm looking at and the people that I trust on Twitter, um, I, it looks like he, the Padres are potentially the leader in the clubhouse. But here's the thing with the Padres. No one thinks they're going to win. It's kind of like the White Sox. No one thinks they're going to win. I still think that there, if, a team, if a good program, if a good elite franchise jumps in late, he's going to go to the if, – if the money is close to the same, and let's say the Yankees or some team jumps in late, we don't expect maybe the Cardinals or somebody like that. I, I see where he's going to – and maybe that's why they haven't signed. Maybe these guys understand what the top deal is. And now that we're getting into full squad on, on tomorrow for the Red Sox, maybe now they think they're going to find out if some of these teams have been waiting to make an act, take an action, are going to take that action. But for right now, from what I've read, and I've been on Twitter all day following this, uh, it seems like Padres are the leader in the clubhouse. And then I really think it's going to be the Phillies unless the Nationals agree to match whatever the, the Phillies offer on Harper. And Stephanie, what are what are your thoughts on Harper? Yeah, I I mean all all I've seen is Harper going going to the Phillies, or I hadn't thought about Nationals ma- matching. You know, here on the West Coast, all the Giants fans are are you know silently praying at night that Harper Harper will end up at the Giants, but I don't see that happening. I can't really talk about Manny Machado because I can't fucking stand him, so I don't. He's a dirty player, and I just keep him as far away from us as possible, please. Yeah, with, I adopt. I adopt everything Stephanie just said about Manny Machado, and I'll third that. I mean, obviously, I'm not a Machado guy. Um, when Matt Barnes threw out his head, you know, I, uh, you know, all I wish pe- he hadn't missed. All the Pedroia huggers, you know, instantly became yeah, Machado huggers at the, you know, at the same time. But you know. Um, but anyway, um, the Padres do seem to be the most aggressive on uh, um, Machado. They're always a wild card regardless because, I mean, I don't think anybody foresaw them landing Eric Hosmer last year. And their GM, you know, when he first got hired, he literally blew up their farm system. You know, he traded like seven of their top ten prospects to bring in guys like uh, Kimbrell, Matt Kemp, they signed James Shields straight up and then they floundered right away. And by midseason, they were already blowing up the team and, you know, trying to reacquire assets. And I think that was, let's see, that was 2015 when that all went down. And here we are in 2019 and they're finally, you know, reloaded in their farm and, and, you know, by all appearances, building their team the right way. And I think, Jeremy, you said that they're not going to be that good. And they probably won't make the playoffs this year. But, I mean, I don't think anybody thought Atlanta would last year. I don't think anybody thought the the A's would be as good as they were. So if they were 
the one surprise team from this year. I wouldn't be, you know, as shocked as many people are. Um, but, you know, that being said, uh, they, they might not. So, I mean, the one thing is those teams didn't have a douchebag like Manny Machado on their roster. <laughs> so I just refuse to believe he's a he's a catalyst to take an underdog to the next level. He, he's just such a scumbag that – I'm sorry, him adding him to the Padres does not somehow put them over the top. But let me say this. Within the last hour since we tipped off the podcast here, multiple uh, news outlets, MLB Trade Rumors, Sporting News, uh, Chicago Tribune, CBS Sports are all confirming that the Padres have offered Manny Machado eight years and $240 million. So that's something. Yeah, right. it's really something considering they had to go out and create a report to say that he's a good guy to justify giving him any money. Kind of sad. Oh, Stephanie, you and I are going to get along. <laughs> I t- I, it's, that's such a good point. That is such a good point. I'm glad you brought it back around to that. Oh, my God. I hope this guy honestly like blows out his shoulder tomorrow and never plays baseball again. Scumbag. I with all this speculation that we've done here in the last couple of minutes, I think the White Sox might make one last late charge here to sign him. So, um, you know, let's hopefully not remove them from the radar. And that front office is an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, no, he should he should go to the AAA for Chicago, not even the best major league baseball club in that city. Sure, I hope he goes there. <laughs> maybe scumbag. Maybe even not the. Total third best professional sports franchise even um no yeah i i'm gonna kind of get away from this for a second but i want to tie some red Sox things back in with them uh mike moustakis today a one-year deal with the brewers for uh 10 million so very affordable very short term they brought in yasmani grandal earlier the arguably the top free agent uh, catcher on the market. Real Muto, you know, obviously better, but he was acquired via trade. Uh, so the the Brewers being pretty aggressive and the uh, National League Central pretty wide open. You know, the, the Cardinals are built possibly for a playoff run. The Cubs kind of in a weird spot, kind of similar to Boston. They couldn't really make a big splash, but I, I have heard that you Darvish is looking a lot better and um you know they'll they'll be getting brandon morrow back in their bullpen uh before long so they'll make a run for it and the reds have been more aggressive than anybody in that division one of the most aggressive teams period and uh you know all of baseball over this offseason with with all the trades they've done you know they got sunny gray yasiel puig um, they also got one more player from the Dodgers. Name escapes me, but um, so I don't know. I like the Brewers. I'm a Brewers fan. I expect you not to be Jeremy because they kind of they're kind of like the the Devil Rays, as you like to call them, of that division. But they were a fun team to watch throughout 2018, and um, I, no, I like- they're likable. They're likable, and the and. I had a buddy who lived in Milwaukee, and he, he and he, you know, we grew up together and went to college together and everything. So he has the, the same sort of um, experience growing up with baseball as I did, and he felt like Milwaukee was an underrated baseball city. Um, the problem that I see with the Brewers kind of recreating the magic they had last year was their their rotation sucks out loud. Um, 
day that bullpen as good as it was, like it was just things would have to go right, really right for them to repeat that. But one thing I just want to touch on with Mustakis, we're talking about how Machado and Harper have potentially overvalued themselves. Mike Mustakis was offered a seventeen point eight million dollar qualifying offer. Uh, was it last year, or the year before, and and his last it was two years ago. So in his last two deals have equaled $17.8 million. So talk about a guy who overvalued himself and has really been um, kind of screwed by what seems to be collusion amongst Major League Baseball front offices in an effort to lower player salaries. This, this guy was offered a $17.8 million one-year deal, and in two years he hasn't made that same amount of money. It's just crazy. Well, that was at the start of the crash, though, which nobody really foresaw. They had to uh, accept those qualifying offers within a few days of the World Series. So, um, you know, it turned out very badly for him. And I think Mike Moustakis is a difference maker, though. The guy can mash, and I was kind of quietly afraid. Oh, I like him. Yeah, I mean, I would take him over Machado any day just for the value. And obviously, Machado... Is his war will be probably at least two or three games higher, but I, I just I see Machado as uh, excuse me Mustakis as a, a pretty solid, experienced ball player who's played in a lot of big games. You know, he game seven of the ALC uh, NLCS this year, and then game seven in uh, 2014, and then finally they won it all the next year. So just a lot of. Just a lot of experience there in big games. And I, the Yankees, he's a lefty. And the Yankees have that short porch in right field. And I, I think they had a big miss on him. I mean, Luke Voigt, I like him a lot. And I, I think he, he could he, he could do a lot of damage, you know, this year. And Greg Bird, obviously injury prone. But if they put Moustakis... For that price at first base, that that would have been that stadium would have would have been perfect for him. Well, then I guess we're not mad that they didn't. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and I like him, and I like the Brewers, so you know it's a good match. But likable player. I mean, Mustakis is great. I think one of the things with Mustakis is he's not athletic, and he has that like shoebox frame. Um, for a professional athlete, he just doesn't have the, the the body of a professional athlete, and I think there's always been some concern that he's not going to play, you know, into his mid 30s as a result. So that might, may be just one of the reasons why he's, uh, despite his track record, his character, and that he's just a generally likable guy, he's not getting he he's caught up in this uh, in this movement to lower player salaries. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately for him, you know, if he hit free agency five or six years ago, he'd probably get a seventy or eighty million dollar deal, you know, similar to what his teammate in Kansas City, Alex Gordon, got, um, which actually didn't really work out. But I, I think Mustakis is going to be a productive player for the next, at least, you know, next few years anyway. Um, any other free agents uh, signing that I didn't cover here? No, but hopefully um, some stuff happens tomorrow. Um, and now that the full squads are starting uh, and also 
we're on the one-year anniversary tomorrow of JD signing that these guys are going to, for, for Christ's sake, sign already. <laughs> so we know. I mean, how can you even? How can you even? Put out, you know, the the bullshit, you know, power rankings and all that nonsense when two of the top 15 players in baseball haven't even signed. Yeah. Uh, Keuchel's not on the roster. I mean, Jesus Christ, guys. And by the way, Terry, one of the topics maybe, and, and you and I have texted about this privately, S- Stephanie, I don't know if you have a thought on this, but we need to, I'd like to just take five minute, a, a short five minute segment or 10 minute segment on the next one of these to discuss some rule changes that stops what's happening. Um. Because this is this this is not good for baseball. This is this is not bringing people to the game of baseball. It's not. It's pushing people away. You don't even know what your teams are going to be. There are teams like the Phillies, the White Sox, the Padres, that are literally just sitting there waiting to see what their roster is going to be. Meanwhile, the, like, could you imagine if you're the third baseman or a shortstop for the Padres? What you're thinking about today? Like the fan bases are all like, no one knows what's going to happen. No one knows. The landscape's not even well-defined yet. It's not good for baseball. There's got to be something to do. Uh, there's got to be something they can do to counteract this nonsense that's happening with the, these late signings. Well, yeah, that's, that's good points. I mean, the fans are wanting to see who they're going to cheer for and what they're going to get behind and what their season may look like. And here we are with full squad reporting and, like you said, three three players, really, Keiko, Machado, and... Um, Harper. Wow, brain just went dead. Harper, yeah. <laughs> just hanging out, you know. Yeah, and Kimbrel as well. That's the thing that's crazy, Kimbrel. There's more yeah, too, but too. I, I, I think the list itself is because the list is actually ten to fifteen players deep. But imagine, I mean, the the teams themselves seem. Don't you think if the Phillies signed Bryce Harper in November? Their ticket sales would have already been boosted. They'd have more season ticket holders starting today, a month before the season starts. I think yeah. they're I, honestly, to me, they're 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 biting their hand to spite their face. Like it doesn't. I might have said that phrase wrong, but I'll take that. But like it doesn't <laughs> make it's, it's counterintuitive. Do you know what I mean? It's counterintuitive. Like, don't you want to take your prize acquisition? Manny Machado should not result in too many more season ticket holders. He's a scumbag. Bryce Harbor should. He's he's wholesome, married to his high school sweetheart. Does the, everything uh, right. I he, hate uh, Harper. Um, <laughs> you can't compare to Manny. But he's, he's marketable. And it, to me, the, if, let's say the Phillies spend the $310 million they reportedly offered him today. Dude, where's the literal four months you could have been selling season tickets to pay for that contract? It and doesn't jerseys. make any sense. Counterintuitive. And jerseys. Yeah, of course. I and MLB packages. Sign them before Christmas. Every every uh, Phillies fan, you know, are buying their spouses or people jerseys. I, I actually had a tweet earlier in the week where I talked about exactly this. I, I would put two deadlines in place. December twentieth would be the trade deadline, which which happens after the winter meetings, so they would have the whole winter meetings to still wheel and deal. So the trade deadline is December 20th, and then the free agent deadline I would make January 20th. And I think by freezing all trades after Janu- uh, after December 20th, it would force the free agent focus to get dealt with much sooner because right now they can do all of that all at once. So if you implement two deadlines, and you can move my time frames, I, I don't really care about that, but as long as there's two separate ones, I think... 
I, I think there, there's a lot more structure and a lot more order, and I, I think things get resolved a lot quicker. Yeah, I think those are all great points. I, I, to be honest, I never really thought about it, but these teams are, you know, paying premium money for these folks and are really leaving money on the table by not getting to sign them sooner. You know, the marketing, all the things that go into that, and building that anticipation for the fans. I mean, I've sat at home waiting for baseball to start, and if I w had a, a player coming that I was excited about, it just builds it even more. Absolutely. Um, and while we're on rule changes, I guess it just got announced today. Jeff Passan of ESPN says there will be no pitch clock during the regular season, but they will be using it in spring training. So maybe next season uh, it'll finally get implemented, but uh, not for 2019 anyway. And I kind of like yeah. that. What I read was that Manford has has not made a decision on the regular season. Uh, yeah, that's possible. I read it wrong. Well, Let me not see. To argue, let's not argue. Right, let's not argue semantics. This Potatoes has been a good podcast where Terry and I haven't yelled at each other yet, so let's not ruin it here in the last segment. I'm going to take credit for that. You're welcome. <laughs> a calming influence. I like it. It's. I got the tweet right here. I, I guess it could. You could be right, Jeremy. He did. He says the the tweet is worded. Manfred said he is not committing to a pitch clock in the regular season at this point, but he can unilaterally implement it. And then there was an earlier uh, tweet uh, also from Jeff Passan that says. Manfred said there will be a pitch clock in spring training to uh, pre uh, to prepare for the regular season. That was earlier, though, than the first one. So who knows? Maybe it'll still happen. All um, I heard in that was, uh, Terry, you told Jeremy that he could be right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge step, Steph. I, Let's I keep won't score. admit it. He didn't even Right. I'm going to be wrong a hundred times about random shit during the season. And trust me, I will admit it and I'll take full ownership of it. You know, it's just w the thing it is. Happens so Stephanie, welcome to the podcast, right? And I'm just <laughs> going to give you a hint. Terry's wrong so often that you're going to wonder to yourself, did he do it on purpose? <laughs> yeah. The, now you're Terry and not Terrence. You guys haven't done this for a full season yet, but you got to realize you're on the record for everything. And when you add it up, you don't remember the little ones. You only remember the big ones that you were wrong about. But but it's just, it'll happen. you know. And, and it happens all the time on sports radio as well. Uh, so, so see, whatever. Jeremy, that's why he gave you an out and said you could be right. We're going to – well, I'll tell you what. And I don't know if I talked to you about this, Stephanie, but Jeremy and I kind of discussed it uh, earlier in the week. I think the, the Monday or Tuesday before um, the season starts, which I believe is on a Thursday, we're going we're gonna to do a show where we predict – the division winners in all six divisions will predict all right. the World Series matchup and then the the league MVPs and Cy Young winners. So we're going to pick all those categories, and I guarantee you at the end of the year, most of us are going to look back on it and be like, <laughs> what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> you know, so anyway. Um, look forward to it. One last thing, and uh, – so just to kind of tie the Red Sox in, 
with these Machado and Harper contracts, they, they are big, you know, and I was hoping maybe, just maybe, they wouldn't exceed the mid-200s, but as they seem to be approaching $300 million, that's not good, you know, for everyone hoping to retain, you know, Xander Bogarts, Chris Sale, uh, Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez even. Uh, you know, J.D., Bogarts, and Sale are up this season. So, And, uh, you know, most of them, if not all of them, won't approach $300 million, But they're, they're still going to get a healthy contract based on their market value. So I was kind of hoping if Machado and Harper came under, you know, what they were projected maybe we had a better chance of not only re-signing them, but maybe re-signing them early. Like if they were looking at the market and freaking out, they, you know, some of them might have signed, you know, in spring training this year, or maybe, you know, later on this summer or whatever, you know, like how Pedroia did in the uh, 2013 season. But I don't know. Any thoughts on that before we wrap? Well, I'm just wondering if the delay and Harper and Machado getting signed, if that helps us in any way when it comes to re-signing these guys yeah well i just if the dollar amounts are closer to three then i i i don't think it it does unfortunately but it's not going to help with bets it may help with guys like mookie or someone that isn't an elite guy at their spot honestly i have plenty to say about this topic i would say let's table this for the next one if if we're going to get into it in any depth so well that's fine but, I mean, look, at the end of the day, what's happening to Harper and Machado uh, are, are, are going to have a large effect on the guys that are considered lesser than them. So it's going to have a it's going to have a, a, an effect on maybe what Xander's thinking, although I think Xander's a Boris guy. So throw everything out the window with that fucking asshole. <laughs> um, but with with Mookie, Mookie's the best player in baseball. Like none of nothing, not this stuff's not going to matter. The thing that's going to matter, the timing of it isn't going to matter. The thing that's going to matter is the amount. If Harper gets three hundred and ten, we're fucked. I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ, we're screwed because he's going to get three fifty. He's going to get more years. He's more athletic. He's younger. He does more things well. He's already won an MVP. He's won a World Series. I mean, he's he's the best player in baseball as of right now. Maybe Trout takes it back this year. You know, I don't know, but. To me, Mookie is recession-proof. You're probably right. Yeah, and you know what? I have a lot well, more I thoughts on am, that. Than, yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah, sometimes. Um, but, well, I got some more thoughts on that. So, well, I think tabling that is probably a good idea uh, for the next show. And who knows when that will be. You know, maybe within the next week. But uh, just the part podcast where we all give stephanie a grade or should we wait uh for the next podcast on that too oh man let's do it jump me in <laughs> no i'm not doing it. i'm not doing it. i just couldn't let you off easy either really? so anyway stephanie great job for your first podcast Thank it was you. a lot of fun they had a, a good time working with you here i would have yeah, gave you a full letter grade above jeremy just for the record oh wow Based on principle. I don't, is that saying much <laughs> i don't know <laughs> You see how he said not not on performance, but based yeah, on principle. Wow. <laughs> All right, you could be right. Else. 
Did a good job, Stephanie. All right. Thank well, you. I guess we'll wrap on that. Good show, guys. Uh, we're getting there slowly. I think we're, what, uh, six weeks away from opening day, maybe a little under. So, um, yeah. so anyway, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll uh, be in touch via text throughout the week. Sounds good. Take it easy, guys. That will wrap up the, I believe, 115th edition of the Benny and the Bats podcast. So thank everyone for uh, joining us. We apologize for the inactivity. It's just been a really slow last five or six weeks. So we don't want to record just for the sake of it. We'd like to cover some fresh stuff. So Anyway, uh, have a uh, good start to your week if you don't have President's Day off, and uh, we'll be back with you soon. Take care.